First Corinthians 14. We're going we're gonna to deal with uh, the heart of this whole, uh, the past few weeks we've been in chapter 12, 13, 14, with tongues and prophecy and gifts. So we're just going to come down with this. So I'm going I'm to give some preliminary stuff. <clears throat> the, I, I told you from day one, back in September, when we started Corinthians, the church was splitting apart. And one of the major problems in the church was the group or groups that thought for some reason they were superior to others. Could be through their culture, it could be through their sophistication, their knowledge, their spirituality, or their giftedness. And, and, and chapter 14 captures that struggle as well as anything in this book can capture. And, and I think in chapter 14, Paul is at his absolute best. He's firm, he's loving, he's gentle, he's tough. He's giving doctrine, he's giving application. <clears throat> We're not going to finish chapter 14 this week. In fact, I may not even get as far as I want because I'm going to go off on a tangent a couple times. Well, I'm not going off on a tangent if I plan to, but anyways. <clears throat> Next week, it'll kind of be interrupted by the missions thing. I'll pick it back up the following week. But it, this is so important because this is what people get wrong. Preachers get this wrong. Teachers get this wrong. Church members get this wrong all the time. You cannot go into a part of Scripture, especially an epistle, where the author is, is being, dealing with a very, very specific problem. He is giving them a very, very specific solution. You can't just rip that out of there, take that over here to our church, and, you know, and lick it on there and slap it down on our church and says, we've got to do all this. You do that, you mess up. You've got to understand the intent of what is happening. And our task is to take that. There are times that we absolutely can absolutely take what's there and apply it directly. Love God, love others. Yeah, we can do that. You know, you know, go share the gospel. Yeah, we can do that. We know Paul, Paul tells us some things. All scripture is inspired by God. Yeah, that applies to everything. But this is one of those places you've got to seek to understand how it works. I've told you all, all these last few weeks, giftedness is so often misunderstood. Gifts are given to individuals for the purpose of Building up, strengthening, and growing the church, whether local or universal, but primarily local. And the use of the gifts is the responsibility of the church. It is our responsibility to put people in the places to use their gifts, or if need be, to refuse to put people in their gifts, places to use their gifts, if we don't think it's legit. The individual doesn't get the final say in the life of the church over the usage of their gifts. The local church, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, gets that say. I understand the Holy Spirit gets the final say, I got it, but he's not, you know, you're working through the church. That's how it has to work. So when we come to this passage, verse 14 says this, pursue love. He just talked about love in chapter 13. Especially Yet, yet there are earnestly spiritual gifts. Yes. Especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue 
does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands. But in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. And so I'm going to take a few minutes here. Pursue love above all else. We should love, love, love. That's always true. Last week in my message, you know, I'm preaching, you know, everything's clear at the cross. And, you know, when I, you know, I was talking about, you know, I saw that, that whatever that said, you know, said, you know, God's on our side. And I kind of ripped that because of all the things that we have to realize. We still love. Love never ends. Jesus and John 14 what did he tell, uh, uh, John 13, what did he tell the guys in John 13? This is how they will know the new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. They'll know your mind when you love one another. You love, you love, you love. But love is not defined by the culture. Love is defined by Jesus. And Paul helps with that. So you love. Pursue, relentlessly pursue spiritual gifts. All of us needs to do that. Now, we don't necessarily just say, What's your gift? What's your gift? What's your gift? But what I would, but I kind of look at it this way: look for opportunities to serve in the church using everything that God has given you, which is another way of saying pursue gifts. But whenever I say pursue spiritual gifts, then people start saying, "Okay, how many gifts are there? Do I take a test? You know, I'm blah 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 blah." And so I just look at it this way: I, I kind of simplify it and I sift it all down this way. God has given you. Gifts, abilities, talents, I don't care what you call it. I'm not, I'm not a guy that splits hairs over that. Use them. Use them in the church. Use them in the community. Use them to honor God. Use them to help people. Use what you have for the glory of God. Now, having said that, and there are a lot of gifts, and they're not all, and, and they're not all mentioned in Scripture. Because there are gifts we, we understand today, like music. That, that's a beautiful gift, talent, ability, whatever. It's not mentioned. It's, I mean, obviously, it's a gift. And there are other things. I would say dancing, but if I say dancing, then Brian's going to try to hold me to that, so I'll do that. <laughs> One thing I appreciate about Mike, Mike never wants to dance in church. <laughs> he said, desire above all, prophecy. Now, is he speaking to the individual? There's some debate. Is he saying all of us should desire prophecy? Well, maybe. But he's writing to the church at Corinth. He's saying, hey, church, desire gifts. And you know what your church needs? Above all, here's the gift the church needs with love. You need the prophetic gift. You need prophecy as opposed to tongues. So let's talk about what those are. The word prophet from the Old and the New Testament means to speak the mind of God. How do I speak the mind of God? I cannot know the mind of God, except I can know what God reveals. And how does God reveal? God reveals himself primarily through Scripture. And how do we know about Scripture? It's through the men, and in some cases women, who spoke or wrote or worked under the Holy Spirit to give us Scriptures. And over time... The church, Old Testament, Jewish people too, but still the church understood over time through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, through years and years of things working, through different churches understanding, there came to be this basic set of scriptures in the New Testament. I hear people say, well, this council did that and this council authorized it. Listen, nobody authorized and said these 27 books are the scriptures. Over time, the different churches, the different ways just came to understand and a core developed. And, and that core, without going into detail, was that 27. 
We see guys like Athanasius. We see other guys when they list scripture. Basically, list the 27 books, and there's a couple of differences and all that. But by the time you get to the end of the 4th century, all that ever happened was people said, yeah, we recognize these are the ones that the church has recognized over the centuries, and we're closing this out so no one ever thinks they can add to it. And that's really it. And those 27 are the revelation of God. Now, in the Old Testament, there's that process also is a little bit different. So what does the prophet do who speaks the mind of God? Nobody is just revealing the mind of God anymore. He doesn't speak to us outside of Scripture. Now, when I put a sermon together, does God inspire me? Does he motivate me? Well, yeah, sure. I mean, today I woke up thinking about my sermon. I thought of some things when I went straight to the office. I pulled up my laptop and I began popping things in there right off the bat. But it wasn't because God was speaking directly to me as this is just holy writ, but because I was thinking about the passage that I'm preaching and I began to write about the passage, to explain it, to understand it, to apply it. Now, some think the prophetic gift is simply the ability to speak on behalf of God in the church setting. So that someone could come up and say, David, you know, I have, I have a word from God. So if someone was going to come up to me, and I've had this happen. I've had people say, David, it hadn't happened here, but I've had people say, I, mean, I feel like the Lord's leading me to say something to the church today. You know what my reply was? No. You know why? Because he didn't tell me. And I don't trust you. Because I've never known you to have the gift. A prophetic gift to share. But so people could just come up. Can you imagine me just saying, or somebody said, well, I, you know, I have a word from God. Okay. And then it start. It, what if they start sharing something that's not biblically correct? What do I do? Some say that, you know, we, that the prophetic gift is fundamentally preaching. And, and I think it's right. That may be a little narrow. I think it's right. I, I think in the 21st century, here's what the prophetic gift is. It's the ability to open up the revelation of God through study, through prayer, through experience to take that message and communicate that to people so they can understand it and apply it. It's really what it is. It's preaching. In a church, there aren't many people that have that. It's good if the pastor has it. I know churches, we have pastors that don't know how to preach. Why don't you call him his pastor? That doesn't seem very smart. So, I mean, I, mean, I have a gift. Joe has it. Timothy over here, the pastor has it. We probably have a few guys on staff that maybe don't have that gift per se as some pastors, but they're really, they have the gift of teaching. And, and, and when they teach and the way they do it, they, they have really good messages. And they do a good job. You know, maybe they have it to some degree, I don't know. And I also think you can develop it. I know people say, you either have it or you don't. Well, <laughs> if you'd have heard the first 100 sermons I ever preached, you'd have never thought I had the gift of preaching. You may still not think I do. That's possible. I don't think I have a nail, preacher. I look back at some of my sermons. I, I'm thankful. <laughs> this sounds horrible. I'm pretty sure, except for Debbie, the first message I preached, everybody who heard it's dead, and I'm kind of thankful. Because <laughs> it was a really old church. Because <laughs> it was so bad. There's no one left to remember how bad it was with me and Debbie. 
And she only holds it over my head occasionally. So, you know. But, but the Holy Spirit works. I, I, I never want to limit how the Holy Spirit works. I never want to say, I had it all my life. Or that I don't have a certain gift now, I can't get it later. Who am I to say what the Holy Spirit does? So the prophetic gift to the church is basically to preach the word of God. Now what is tongues? Well, the word used for tongue here, glossa, just means language. And it can mean either known, recognizable languages, which, you know, you may not be able to speak it, but I know it. If I hear Spanish, I know it's Spanish. If I hear a foreign language, I may not know what it is, but I know it's a language. And if someone spoke, you know, Croatian, I probably wouldn't know what that was, you know, but I would know it's a recognizable It's a language, organized language. It can also make ecstatic utterances. The context of Scripture determines whether it's ecstatic utterances or known language. Acts chapter 2, it's a known language. They heard the gospel in their own glossa, tongue, language. Here, at this point, it is utterances. There's another word he'll use in a minute for language. Now, the issue is whether or not that's still a viable gift. And that's always an issue. There are some who say that tongues has completely ceased. One of, one of my favorite, of all favorite, influential pastors, teachers is John MacArthur. John MacArthur wrote the second most influential book I've ever read. The most influential book I ever read was The Cross of Christ by John R.W. Stott. The second most impactful influential book I've ever read was The Gospel According to Jesus by John MacArthur. It was phenomenal. Last, during all this COVID stuff, when John MacArthur's church was rebelling in Southern California, being threatened and fined and everything, MacArthur stood up with unbelievable courage. And I read something he wrote. In fact, I gave it to the staff. It was unbelievably helpful to me. He wrote, there are three institutions that God has given, the church, the family, and the government, and none of those interfere with the other. It's not the job of the church to interfere with the government, not the job of the government to interfere with the church. It's phenomenal. It's fantastic. Once in a while, there are a few things I disagree with him on. I hate doing that because I, don't, I would never tell him that because you don't ever tell John MacArthur you disagree with him. He looks down and you would just be shredded. The lightning would come from his eyes. You'd probably melt. But he says, if I remember correctly, that tongues no longer exist. Well, I don't, I don't know what I can say. Tongues don't exist or interpreting. I can say our church doesn't recognize it as usable. You know what a church has the right to? You may not realize this. But as a church, you know what we say? I've had people tell me, Pastor, I can speak in tongues. That's great. You do it privately, you're good to go. You do it in church, we don't want it. We're a Southern Baptist church. Baptist churches do not want that gift used in our congregation. We understand that. You come here with certain understandings, certain safety nets. One of them is, we're not going to speak in tongues. That's not our comfort zone. It's okay that other churches do. So I'm saying to you, Churches utilize gifts. I say all of this to help you understand where we're coming to. Now, I didn't just make that up, by the way. That comes from studying Genesis to Revelation. And all the passages that talk about gifts and prophecy and understanding what it means. I'm giving to you the benefit of untold hours and years of experience in studying you can believe it or not. It's up to you. So, what does he say? Desire prophecy. If you speak in tongue, 
It doesn't speak to men. The guy knows the tongue helps you speak to God. It's personal. No one understands. It's a mystery. But one who prophesies speak to men for edification. That means to build up exhortation. That means to kind of mean to to move them along to grow also in consolation to encourage. Those words really mean the same thing. Prophecy helps people. My gift is designed to help you understand the word of God so you may first of all come to salvation, secondly grow in your faith, period. It's what it's designed to do. One who speaks in a tongue just edifies himself. But one who prophesies edifies the church. It's okay to speak in tongues. You're helping yourself out. You're growing in the faith. Fantastic. Now, I wish all of you who spoke in tongues, I wish, no, I wish that all of you spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless there's an interpreter, so the church may be edified. Now, Paul's saying, I wish all of you could speak in tongues. That'd be great. He's, he's, he's exaggerating. But I'd rather you all prophesy. This is what gets people off. <clears throat> Paul is not saying that he wishes everybody in the church could stand up and prophesy. I mean, he's saying that, but he's not saying, it's not a literal thing. It's, it, it is a comparison. It would be better, he says, for everyone to prophesy than everyone to speak in tongues. The church would benefit more from all of you preaching the word of God than all of you speaking in tongues. Period. Now, he does say, unless there was someone who can interpret. So, if there was someone who... If, People do speak, and he's going to deal with this later. I don't know if we'll get to it today, but we'll get to it. People do speak in, in tongues in the, in, in the church. Someone has to interpret that. Someone has to say, what did they just say? Now, that's an important point. It doesn't matter to us because we don't care if you have an interpreter. You ain't gonna, we don't want you doing it. It's church down the street, love to have you. Not us. But the point isn't. Should you or not, the point he's trying to make is about the unity of the church. Remember, this is all about the unity of the church. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? So what good does it do if I speak in tongues? He lists the four things that matter. Revelation. I speak to you revelation. Now, Paul, God speaks to Paul and he reveals truth. So Paul can tell you about revelation. I don't come to you with new revelation. I just come to you with this revelation. He says, I come to you with knowledge, prophecy, teaching, all those good things about all the things you need to understand Scripture. When I come to you, I, I take the revelation of God. I have knowledge about the subject matter. I preach and I teach. I preach on Sundays, teach on Wednesdays, and sometimes I confuse the two. All of that is what I do. And so that's critical in the life of the church. You need one, two, three, four, how many people? You don't need everybody to do that, but you need some to do that. Like I said, it's helpful if it's the preacher. Especially if, if the preacher's a guy, that's more helpful, but that's another battle altogether. I'm just kidding. Not really. But. And he gives an illustration. Even the lifeless things, a flute or a heart, See, notice, the flute is being played in the church. Brian, look at this. The flute is being played in the church, Brian. 
I'll give you one dance. You give me one song with the flute. I'm just kidding. I won't do that. Or a harp in producing a sound. If they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how it be known what is played on the flute? In other words, any instrument. They had flutes and harps back then. Okay, you got the guitar. You got all this stuff. (laughs) If I pick up Brian's guitar, I won't because he hates people touching his guitar or his hair. But if I pick up his guitar and I try to play it, it's going to be horrible. Horrible. But if Brian plays it, it's going to be okay. You know, it's going to work. You can be able to make out a tune along the way. If, <laughs> if I sing, it's pathetic. Debbie sings is fantastic. Think about the people we had singing this past uh, Sunday. When I sing, beautiful worship people sing. Up here, three people sing. You can understand it. it's beautiful. You don't want, you don't want me and Tony singing. But if we did, I'd sound better. But you don't want that. It's a bugle produces an indistinct sound. Who will prepare himself for battle? In other words, to call the battle on a bugle. Who would know to go if they can't tell? They don't know to advance or retreat. Verse 9. See also that unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you be spoken into air. So if you're just speaking in tongues, unless it's a language people can understand, it's just like a useless flute or harp. Now, there are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world and no kind is without meaning. Now that word language is different. In the Greek, that is phonon. It means something that is understood. It's the idea of a word of sound. Here he's talking about a straight up language. Greek, for instance. So there are perhaps a great many kinds of languages such as Greek, English, Spanish in the world. And no kind is without meaning. All of them have meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language... I will be to one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. The word barbarian is a onomatopoeia. It's, it's kind of the word that just sounds like barbar. It's just rambling, babbling. If you've ever heard someone speak in tongues, just ecstatic utterances, it just sounds like rambling, babbling. I, it, honestly, I just I can't, I can't take it. So also you, since you were zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. So, since you were zealous for gifts, you should be, you should want gifts. Get the gifts to build up the church. Yeah, I'll stop here. I'm gonna keep going. So let me talk a little bit. As pastor, just I'm speaking for me. What I want for our church are talented, gifted people who will help the church. I tell, I tell our staff, talk about this all the time. You know, Mike and Brian and I talk about, especially with worship. If we got, if God sends his people who are talented, use them. He may not give them to us for long, so use them. We, we, we want, we want, listen, if we have people who can teach, we want to find a way for them to teach. 
We want to leverage that the best way we can. If we got, if we got people, you know, who can do certain things, well, we, we want to utilize them. Now, we can put safeguards in place and all that. We want all of you to find a place to serve. We got people working in Awana right now. I don't know that all of them are good with children. We've done background checks to make sure none of them done anything illegal. But in Awana, some of them may just love, listen to the kids and love them and help them. They, you know, we have some people who teaching children is a gift. For instance, when we go off to camp or we have vacation Bible school, there are specific people we want to teach our kids. And there are people we want to just encourage our kids. If you've been in, in VBS and they're doing crafts, I don't know what gift skill set, gift sets involved in leading kids to make crafts. But one of the things I want is to make sure there are people who love those kids to help them be able to do it. I don't, you know, I, I don't, I don't want, I mean, obviously want someone who has some craftiness, I guess. That doesn't come out right because craftiness could be a bad thing. But my big concern in there is do we have somebody who care about our kids? When our youth go off to camp, I got youth minister and other people who can teach them. But I want to make sure going to camp are people who can connect with young people on spiritual levels. They don't have to teach. I don't care if they teach. But they need to be able to connect to those kids and help them. We got people who, when we go on a mission project, they shine. We got people, when we cross that border, man, they're in their element and they can do such a good job. We're all, we want people to be where God can just use them. And as pastor, I want to benefit from what God uses. Because if we don't let God use them here, he'll use them somewhere else. So it's a lot harder than you think making sure People have places to serve that take advantage of everything they can do. So, and I'm going to stop here, which is not, I was going to go further, but I'll finish it up later. Because it's important to understand all of you, as if you're a follower of Christ, you have usefulness, gifts, talents, I don't care what you call it. There are ways you can serve to help the local church or the large church, the church universal, whatever capacity, to really reach people. You need to do it. Sunday, Sunday's message, a lot of it is about what Jesus said is, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Serving in whatever capacity is critical. And I would tell you this, if you don't feel... If, <laughs> If you don't have the right gift and the right place to serve us right now, that doesn't mean you don't serve. Just keep serving until you find your place. Keep serving until you get someplace. Oh, this is for me. It may take a while. It may be a struggle. Don't give up if you don't find the right place right off the bat. We're not going to require you to take a test. And when you give us the results of the test, say, well, we're going to find a place for you to take the results of this test and to serve in our church. We're not going to do that. You tell us we want to serve, we better find you a place, sir. And if that one doesn't work out, we'll find you another one. So find a place to serve. Just find a place to serve.
Well, that's basically it. I got a couple extra minutes. Anybody have any questions you want to ask about this subject matter and not about something else? Yes. So the, yeah, so the text says they spoke in languages, and they heard them. So I would I would say the I would say the 120 spoke in the languages that the people can understand. That's the way to understand that passage. I've heard people say it was a gift of hearing. Nah, it was it was the gift of speaking in their language. What else? Yes. I have a question about the, the understanding of prophecy to, to, to have the gift of prophecy or the ability of prophecy. Um, I had understood it to be the gift of truth, not necessarily just of the pastorship that yeah. you were explaining, but the gift of truth. Yeah. And is it, is it not correct in so, understanding that? The word, the word means... To speak forth the mind. The concept is to speak the mind of God. So where do they get the truth from? Okay, so the truth has to come from Scripture. But the, the problem with just saying it that way is just, it becomes this very generic thing. If you take all of the passages, and some try to make, say there's a distinction someplace between prophecy and, and preaching. The apostles, with those guys, there is some distinction. But in the 21st century... Just to say that someone has the gift of speaking the truth. Well, all of us should know truth. All of us should be able to tell truth. There is a gift, though, that allows me to take truth and to explain it. I can explain things that would be very difficult for you to explain. So at some point, there becomes a distinction between that. And the prophetic gift to proclaim it truthfully, the word of God, is still, at the end of the day, preaching. Otherwise, you, you, otherwise, the gift is something anyone and everyone can do, and it ceases to be gift. It's just a commonality like love. So, every one of us should be able to speak truth. Every one of us should be able to understand biblical truth and teach it. But not everyone can stand up and proclaim it in a way that's understandable and applicable. That is a gift that's unique. So I would, I would not agree with that understanding of prophecy. It's too broad, way too broad. Okay. Anything else? I'm 7 o'clock. Got to go. Sorry. <laughs>